Welcome to Thoughts on Record, official podcast of the Ottawa Institute of Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Each episode, we explore topics of interest to clinicians and mental health consumers from a cognitive behavioral perspective. I'm your host, Dr. P. Kelly. Just a quick note for the listener that this podcast was recorded March 27th, 2020, just a little over two weeks after the World Health Organization declared the COVID-19 outbreak a pandemic. Okay, uh, we have Dr. Connie Dalton with us today. Connie is the uh, clinical director of uh, OICBT, and I thought it would be a good idea to have her on to maybe update us around what's going on at the clinic. We're obviously operating in some pretty extraordinary circumstances at the moment, circumstances none of us have really dealt with before. And uh, I think we just wanted to get the word out with respect to what we're doing, how we are managing, and, and most importantly, how we're working to continue to deliver uh, services to our clients. So, uh, Connie, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, and thank you for having me on. No problem. No problem. <laughs> okay, so I think one thing that I wanted to do was to be able to clarify for folks uh, what is the status of our services at the moment. Uh, there's a lot of different things going on at the moment. Many businesses are closed. Some are open. Lots of talk of you know just essential services for the most part being able to be accessed. Uh, where are we at with that? What's what's going on with OICBT in that respect? You know, I, I think this is really kind of a moment in time or a period in time that none, none of us have ever really experienced before with, with the COVID situation. And everything seems to be evolving and just changing almost daily. And I think, um, I mean, from the OICBT perspective, we felt that it was really important to keep our services going, especially during this time um, when anxiety and stress is increasing and people may be feeling even more isolated and alone. Absolutely. Um, so um, I guess over the past week, we've been able to keep almost 100% of our treatment services going uh, with the use of teletherapy platforms and have generally received really positive feedback about being able to do that and um, to continue therapy and not having to pause. That's great. And just to clarify for folks, um, we offer individual therapy. We also offer groups as well. And uh, it may not be people's intuitions that a, uh, intuition that a group can keep going, but indeed we've been able to keep those groups going via the teletherapy. Yeah. And, and again, I've heard right. the same feedback as you is that um, while it takes a little bit of adjustment overall, people seem to find that uh, it ends up being a, a good fit for them and they can still get the services that they need ultimately. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. We've also been able to keep, um, we have, as you said, Pete, we have individual and group therapy options for depression, for anxiety. We also have more intensive programming um, where it's more of an intensive out, uh, outpatient program. And we've actually been able to keep that, uh, that offering in place as well. And, and, and as well as our home and community services. So we, we can actually have um, occupational therapists using teletherapy to help people meet their functional goals. That's excellent. And I think that's going to become increasingly important as, uh, as time goes on here. I had recorded a solo podcast last night, just talking about the impact of, uh, or the potential for depression evolving over time with this. And I think where the opportunity for positive reinforcers has been really curtailed through all the social distancing uh, it's going to be important that people have the tools to be able to maintain schedules, routines, some sense of normality within what are very exceptional circumstances. Um, yes. If someone calls in today, Connie, are they able to do an assessment or how does that typically, uh, how does that process unfold for someone who's maybe new to us and looking to get services for the first time? What, what could they expect right. in terms of a process there? 
Right now, we don't have um, a wait list. So if you go on the website or you give a call to our central our central intake, what would happen would be you would uh, have a, a short screening schedule, and then we would be setting up, a, up an appointment if it fits with a therapist. So you probably could be seen within a week as it stands right now. And just to clarify, any appointments would be taking place virtually uh, via either yeah. telephone or uh, tele uh, video therapy. Yeah, that's an important point. So we've actually over the, like I had mentioned earlier about the past, uh, just kind of transitioning everything over. We actually transitioned all of our services to teletherapy. So um, everything is provided remote right now. And um, so it would be scheduling a, a session over, over Zoom, actually. Perfect. And I believe with Zoom, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, clients do not need to sign up for Zoom or have an account. Uh, they are simply able to receive a link via email. They click on the link to join the meeting. And then we have, it's, it's a service that's encrypted point to point. So it's completely secure. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's, um, you can actually, if you're using teletherapy, um, it's the, the client and the therapist, they can see and hear each other and interact with one another. I mean, you're not uh, physically together, of course. But, uh, but if you've ever used something like Skype or your computer or, or your Skype on your computer or FaceTime on your iPhone, it would be, it would be similar to this. Uh, the only difference is that we make sure our platforms that we use for teletherapy are more secure. And like you mentioned, they're encrypted to ensure that confidentiality is, is maintained and privacy. I know talking with a few colleagues, they've been able to leverage their uh, iPads to almost create like virtual whiteboards. So I, I think as we get, I mean, we've been using this platform for over a year, but I think uh, this kind of circumstance is going to force us to get our A game going with respect to this. And uh, I think there's actually quite a bit of potential. I wouldn't be surprised actually if our way of practicing changes permanently uh, as a function yeah. of the circumstances that we're, uh, you know, uh, adapting and coping with at the moment. Yeah, I agree. It's like necessity is the mother of invention. So I think we're going to come out of this in a different place and realize how creative um, and inventive we can be in the way we deliver services and be able to uh, increase services to people who may not have access otherwise. Absolutely. I'm thinking of some of my clients who need to currently, you know, they've been driving in an hour and a half, two hours in some instances from outlying areas, especially in, uh, you know, in uh, Renfrew or, or beyond close to Algonquin Park. So uh, yeah, really, this is really getting me thinking about how we could deliver services in a, in a different way that makes it more accessible. Uh, if you think about even just the cost of cutting down people's time and gas and any other resources they need to, to get here. For teletherapy, what are some of the things that people should know, perhaps with respect to evidence? Is teletherapy like the poor cousin of, of you know, face-to-face -face therapy? Is, is there evidence to suggest that it's as effective? How is confidentiality navigated in a virtual uh, therapy ecosystem? Yeah, no, those are great questions. I guess we could start with um, in terms of whether or not it works. So it basically... We're use, we use the same um, empirically supported treatments when we're providing teletherapy as we would uh, if it was face-to-face. -face. Uh, of course, we have to modify the way we're delivering it because we're not in the same room necessarily, physically in the same room. So it's the same treatment approach, but modified. And there's, there's a good body of evidence to suggest that it works quite well. Um, you know, keeping in mind that nothing works for everybody 100%. Um, there may be some situations maybe where 
a certain type of intervention may not be as easy to do over over teletherapy. And it's um, up to the therapist and and the client to um, be creative about how to adapt the treatment to uh, to be as effective as possible. Excellent. And when would confidentiality around this process typically be reviewed with clients? How are we handling that? You know, typically when we do an intake for someone in person, we hand them over a document, we give them the opportunity to read it, we review it with them, they sign it. Uh, how are we managing confidentiality, informed consent in this uh, kind of a platform? <laughs> these, are, these are really good questions. and We've had to navigate all of these quite quickly. Absolutely. Um, but <laughs> good, yeah, as such a good resource and a community of therapists um, have really come together to, to make this happen. So we, you know, the, the most important part uh, about collecting consent to treatment is that the consent we obtain so um, is informed so that if somebody is um, going to start treatment with us, they really understand what they're starting, what the costs or and benefits of that treatment would be. And so it's not necessarily a signature on a piece of page uh, on a piece of paper. It's the um, it's the fact that someone is consenting to engage in treatment and they understand what that entails. So the way we're um, we've done that is we we can share consent forms through encrypted emails and um, clients can review that. And then we just document that we've got consent to continue. One of the most important parts when you're doing teletherapy is to, to consider the fact that you need to be in, um, in an environment or in a, a space where it's confidential. So um, one of the things we'll review when we schedule appointments is to make sure you're in a private location, maybe that you have, have headphones on so that um, someone else in the home, and especially at this time where, where homes are filled with family, um, that you um, can protect the confidentiality of the therapy session for you and that you wear headphones to help with that. Yeah, and those are little details that sometimes don't occur to people maybe until the time of their appointment, and that would be a bad time to discover that. So I, th I think cool. we're trying to be proactive about letting people know about some of the ins and outs of, of what has worked for other clients and passing that along right up front so that everybody's prepared to have a, a good experience. Uh, just speaking for myself this week, uh, having gone down these uh, Zoom video route with clients, it's been a really, I think, effective experience ultimately, and I've got good feedback from clients. So I think, that, again, I think it's a really viable platform and uh, we're just going to continue to do everything we can do to make it accessible and uh, easy to use for folks knowing that our services are uh, potentially quite important during this really stressful time. Connie, do you have a, um, do you want to say anything about perhaps what we're trying to do for the community at large at this moment? Yeah, I guess these podcasts are one of the initiatives we decided to, to launch um, quicker than maybe we had expected to um, in order to help the community stay informed about, you know, mental health at this time. And it also kind of allows us to um, tap into the expertise we actually have in our clinic uh, across different areas of mental health and, and to share that information with the community. And especially, you know, in, in how to how to manage some of the issues that are going to come up around COVID-19 um, from a mental health perspective. Um, and so this is, you know, a great platform to do that. And thank you, Pete, for for getting this initiative up so fast. Oh, absolutely. No problem. I, I think this it's it's really important that we be able to have a portal to get our expertise out into the community where, again, I have a sense that they could be uh, particularly helpful both now and in the future, especially if this ends up being a prolonged um, experience for us all. 
And there's every reason to believe at the moment that it potentially could be. So I think we're going to want to have a uh, ability to get our voice out there week over week and continue to provide thoughts, coping strategies, suggestions for folks who, uh, who may need it. So no, certainly yeah. very, very happy to get this up and running. So Connie, you're a clinical psychologist yourself. I'd be really curious to know, you know, what, what's your perspective on this or what kind of coping tips do you think might be helpful for folks? And I know that's a very open-ended question and probably you could, you know, spend an hour talking about all the things that could be helpful or not, you know, but what is your perspective as a clinical psychologist and, and what, what would you generally recommend to somebody at a time like this? Uh, and again, there's a lot of unknowns, there's a lot of uncertainty, but where's, uh, yeah. where's your clinical mind at with this at the moment? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. And it's, you know, you could look at it from two different perspectives. My personal, <laughs> my personal experience with right. this, because we're, we're all people for psychologists delivering services. We're, we're people too, who are, who are also going through um, this situation at the same time. And then there's the therapist in me who's, um, who's, who can, who can make recommendation. I guess they kind of dovetail, you know, right. so I, I can maybe speak to myself, to myself first, which is, um, you know, first, just accepting that um, right now, anxiety around the situation is normal. Um, and it, it's actually adaptive to, to feel a little bit of anxiety around, um, around the situation. It actually can mobilize us to, um, to take actions that we need to, to keep ourselves safe, to keep our family safe, to follow Health Canada guidelines, um, to do the things that we need to do just to be aware. And so I think from my, from my own experience, it's been just kind of accepting that right now is going to be a little more anxiety provoking for all of us. And the strategies that we, we help clients with every day are the same strategies that we need to use to manage our own anxiety. You know, so I will do meditation and uh, relaxation to kind of help with that so that I can stay um, grounded and focused. You know, it's such a, yeah, it's such an interesting time to have this shared experience. Uh, and I, I really love the way that you put that. We're both people and clinicians at the same time. And I'm finding myself flipping back and forth between the, the two identities and drawing on one to inform the other on a continual basis. Uh, I, I've been finding it really interesting having chats with my clients this week. And it hasn't been all COVID all the time, but it, it's been a major theme of the discussions. And I imagine over time, as I have more of these discussions, as we have more of these discussions, that there'll be emerging themes uh, of common concern that emerge. And I think one of my plans is to week over week, do a summary of what I've been hearing from folks, what are the common problems that are coming up and maybe speaking to some of the ways that those themes could be um, can be mitigated in some way. Yeah. But you yeah, know, it's, it's, it's hard to, no one has a crystal ball. It's hard to know exactly what's going to happen. So, you know, we get, and we have our general coping strategies, but there may be very specific challenges that emerge that we have to navigate ultimately. I, and I think one of the other uh, uh, parts that's really important just personally, but also something that I recommend to clients as well and work through is the idea that there's a lot of media, obviously, and uh, media coverage right now, there's a lot of information coming out, coming coming at us, and um, that can be super overwhelming. And um, it's really important from, uh, from just a personal perspective, from a general perspective, to be selective about the information that you're reviewing and kind of doing it in a way that you have a dose that's healthy for you in terms of reviewing and listening to what, what's coming up in the media. So um, one of the things personally is I've done is, you know, select a few websites that are reputable, that you know the data is accurate, and those are the sources to go to. 
Otherwise, we can kind of start, and especially if um, you, you already have a predisposition for anxiety. So for someone who's, for example, maybe experiencing health anxiety, or, you know, you can go down this rabbit hole where you, um, you, you kind of may excessively be looking for more information and more information as a way of reassuring yourself. And right. that can backfire, right? So getting a few key, um, key resources and websites to do um, checking in is probably the best, you know, is a recommendation. So it'd be like the World Health Organization or Health Canada, where you can really trust the information that you're receiving. That echoes so much what I've been saying to clients this week and really trying to get people to use some sort of filter algorithm where it's like, okay, would you, are you going to do anything differently as a function of accessing that information? And if the answer is no, you know, you might entertain not going there, right? Like how, just like you said, there's a dose that's required to keep your family safe, to make informed decisions. But after that, it's probably just generating a whole bunch of anxiety. You're getting all the downside of activation without any of the upside of being able to do anything about it. And it's going to leave people feeling helpless and anxious and all kinds of uh, feeling all kinds of unpleasant things. That's right. I also think at this period in time, we may see this situation as very, very different from other ones. And I think it's important to remember that, you know, that there's a resilience. We, we like, I think uh, we may forget that we have coping strategies that we can actually use right now and that there's a resilience that we can tap into, like as Canadians, but also just individual people is, um, is that we can cope with the anxiety that's coming up and to be careful about catastrophizing and going into what ifs too much, because um, that can also take us down a rabbit hole and increase our anxiety as well. How far should people be looking out into the future right now? Would you recommend day by day, maybe a week max? Like, Do you have a sense of what's helpful right now? Because people want to plan, but we also don't yeah. want to encourage people, you know, like you say, catastrophizing, going a year out, imagining the, the economy being destroyed and all these things, which haven't happened yet. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, right now, I think probably all of us are dealing with the things as they just come up day to day, almost everything, right. the information coming in so fast paced and, um, and we're taking that information in. And then I think our community as a whole is then just, we have to respond to it in terms of what our next actions are. And so we really don't, I don't think have a sense of where we're going to end up in a month. You know, um, we may not be self-isolating anymore, or we may still be self-isolating. So there's a lot of unknowns that I just don't think we have the answers to right now. So would it be beneficial to kind of go go there? Probably not, you know, um, to start thinking about a month because we don't know. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think it was just over two weeks ago that a few of us had got together after work to uh, have a drink together to, as we all went our separate ways for March break. And, yes. you know, we had some sense of where things were. There was some sense that things were intensifying, but man, I could not have predicted that we would have ended up in this place two, two weeks later. So who knows yeah. where, where we're going to be in another two weeks. I think that actually makes a great case for on, on some level, not worrying about it. Right. Uh, yeah. It also makes a great case for not worrying in general on some level. Cause if you think about it three months ago, who was worried about this? Right. Yes. So it's, it's, yeah. it's typically precisely the things that you're not worried about that end up causing you problems. Not all the things that you do worry about. So, Anyway, there'll be a lot of interesting uh, perspectives for people to gather from going through a situation like this. Ultimately, there, I think there is an opportunity, yes. both, both for yeah. us as individuals as well as us for as a society. And uh, and I truly mean that not as just sort of a positive thinking, mollifying, unpleasant emotions. Like I really do feel handled in the right way. There's an opportunity yeah. to come out on the other side of this uh, with a really rich sense of community and then also a uh, sense of resilience as well. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I guess the other thing would be just distinguishing between worry about what where are we going to be in a month from now and just problem solving. There is some right. problem solving that we all need to do around financial situations and and I think that's that's kind of a different uh a different uh beast kind of is that we need to be cognizant of how we're going to manage uh our situation kind of moving forward um versus um spinning in uncertainty and worrying. Absolutely. And I would really uh, invite people to consider control when they're thinking about worry versus problem solving. It's like, what do you actually have control over? What can you action versus what's uncontrollable and maybe needs to be tolerated until more data comes in. Um, yeah. My intuition is that a lot of uh, folks who are typically pretty invested in control and problem solving, they're going to misallocate problem solving coping to things that haven't happened yet or that are uncontrollable. It's going to leave them feeling very frustrated and very upset and anxious. So I think if people can have a think through, what do I actually have control over? What can I action in this situation? Like go all in yeah. on the things you can control, but the things that you can't, uh, that's where you can do, you can leverage mindfulness, uh, some of the more acceptance commitment therapy type principles, which I may talk about in another podcast, but in any case, yeah. Connie, was there anything else that you wanted to uh, speak to today? It's okay if not, but uh, I just wonder if you had any parting thoughts or if, if there's anything I had not covered, especially from an OICBT perspective. Is there anything uh, from an organizational perspective that you wanted to make sure that we were able to put out there um, if, if we hadn't uh, addressed it already? Yeah, I guess there's maybe one other thing. Sure. Where, um we talk about the offerings um, that we're going to be uh, at OACBT. We are looking into, besides the the podcasts uh, um, that we're um, we've started to kind of connect with the community, we're going to look into offering short group and individual therapy sessions focusing specifically on anxiety related to COVID. And so, um, in those um, in those sessions, we can help people with you know questions that we are helping to work through some of the issues we've, we've kind of touched on here today. So like how much media exposure is too much media exposure or strategies that people may want to ad adopt to help manage anxiety right now. Um, how do you manage health anxiety in this situation if that's what you've experienced? So we'll be um, posting these options on our website. So um, that, that's another offering that we're going to be launching in the next few weeks. Excellent. I think that's a, uh, that's a really good idea. On a personal note, I just want to thank you for all the work that you and Dr. Rousseau have done this week to, uh, and last week. I can't even imagine or begin to imagine all the hours that you and uh, Dr. Rousseau have put into mobilize the clinic into essentially transitioning in one week from a in-person primarily based clinic to a virtual clinic. So <laughs> that is that undoubtedly that has been no small task. So thank you very much from a personal perspective. And ultimately, I think this will be very helpful uh, to the community as well. So thank you for that. And thank you again. No problem. Well, I really hope that you enjoyed the podcast as much as I did. If you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. And now for the mandatory disclaimer. This podcast represents the opinions of Dr. Kelly and that of his guests. Content of the podcast should not be taken as psychological advice and is for general information only. Please consult your mental health professional for any specific questions around your psychological health. In no way does listening to our content establish a psychologist-client relationship. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. All people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect patient confidentiality. Finally, this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing a standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. 
No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast. 